troublesome oh, trail runners. Hello. Welcome to Troublesome Terps, a podcast about the things that keep Terps up at night. And two of us are feeling like we've been kept up at night. If you hear yawning, we'll try, and take that out and po- <laughs> we will try and take that out and post if at all possible. First up, we have to say that our very own Sarah Hickey couldn't make it tonight. So it'll be just us boys, the OG crew. I never know what OG means. So without any further ado, here is our Munich munchkin, Alexander Gansmeyer. Hey guys, if I'd known that you didn't know what OG meant, I could have come, come up with something really funny, but I'm not that good on the fly. You know, you know how interpreters are not that spontaneous, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that like original generation or something like that? I think it's supposed to be original gangster, but that's not very funny. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, but you already heard him. Moving on, to, <laughs> <laughs> but moving on to our Brussels beauty, Alexander Drexel is also in the house. Alex, how are you? Yeah, in the virtual house, i.e. In, in the Zoom box on the top right. <laughs> in the Zoom box. And actually the top, top left. Yeah, yeah, it's different yeah. for everyone, but <laughs> exactly. it's definitely a box. Definitely a box. <laughs> Gotta think outside the box sometimes. It's a Zoom box, boom box, and I have to say that Troublesome Terps got here with doing Zoom meetings before just about anyone else. We've been recording on Zoom for years. Yeah, but the OG, <laughs> OG Zoomers. Oh, oh, okay, Zoomer, I guess. Okay, Zoomer. Okay, Zoomer. Oh, no, here we go. This We're off to a good start, aren't we? We're off to a great right, start. It's just me and the two dads for all the dad jokes that I can handle, right? <laughs> or more than you can handle, possibly. Oh, God. Well, funnily enough, talking about things that you can't handle, did you hear that segue? Mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thing of beauty segway king and um, yeah we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have segway kings so we're talking about something that no one should be made to handle a little bit of background to this throughout my interpreting career and i've been in this business translation interpreting for about 12 years i realized that Many, in fact, most of the people that I meet, most of the fellow professionals are supportive, but I recognize several episodes throughout my career so far where I have been the victim of bullying. I hope I've never been the perpetrator. If I have, apologies in advance, I didn't realize, but where I have been the victim of bullying and where bullying has been something that has had to be dealt with. And so today we want to have a show on bullying, not just you know, we've talked about booth manners before, but I thought it'd be good to talk about bullying and in as broad terms as possible. I'm working on some things on bullying at the moment. And one of the things that the experts in bullying all say is keep your definition as broad as you can, because there's always something that you haven't thought of. So I just wanted to say, I mean, I, I can remember times where I've been bullied a couple of times because apparently I have an accent. No idea where people get that impression. That's, that's just wrong. It's just crazy. Um, but also because, also, I mean, for various reasons as well. But have you two ever been on the receiving end of bullying or kind of antisocial interpreter or translator behavior? I don't think I have been. But what you just said really resonated with me about trying to stick with a very broad definition because um, I'm a dad, as Alex just pointed out. So I have two kids that are both in school. And as far as I can tell, they haven't been bullied yet, but it's something that I think every parent is probably very, very aware of. And you're sort of looking out for signs, whether, you know, if your kid is probably being bullied. And, you know, there have been stories at school, so it's it's definitely something that's very much on you know, top of mind, if you will. Um, but not for me personally yet, as far as I can tell. I don't think so. How about you, Alex? No, I don't think I've been bullied. But then again, I think that's a very... I mean, even if we keep the definition very broad, I think it's a pretty subjective feeling, like when mm. you've been bullied and when you've just been dealing with an idiot. There's, you know, like, because there's definitely some colleagues, one in particular comes to mind. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Who shall remain nameless. <laughs> who shall obviously remain nameless, but I'm not the only one who thinks that he's an idiot, but he's just, you know, he, I think he's a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a bad interpreter, and he just has no manners. So, you know. I don't know. I don't think he's bullying me because I I don't know. He's just being himself is what you're saying. He, yeah, basically he's just being himself. He also talks to the clients. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm oh. not sure. I think he's just a bad person, but whatever. There's a couple of reasons why I wanted to talk about this. One is I'm currently in the middle of doing a bullying study. So you may get an email from 
an association asking you to take part or it may be included in some updates. If you see a, a bullying survey with my name on it, please do it. I'm not going to disclose which associations I'm trying to do it with because that's commercially sensitive, obviously. But the something that I noticed about bullying is the people who have never been through it often don't see it. And the people who have been through it can be seriously affected by it. I know of colleagues who have felt like leaving the profession because of even something that just seems like a one-off behavior. Mm -hmm. I also know of people who have said, I don't want anything to do with that organization. And it could be a variety of organizations because of what X person did or because of how something was reacted to. Mm -hmm. Bullying isn't just about the kind of typical diva, you know, I need still water at 24 degrees centigrade delivered by a cherubim wearing a gold lace or something. Obviously. It, obviously. It, Oddly specific. It, yeah. Purely and simply, it's about misusing your power and influence. So it could be something like if you disagree with someone on social media, there's a, a very, for me, there's a very clear line between saying I disagree and you're a pile of turd get out of the profession. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... You know, that, that's a really simple example. So a very simple example from my career when my first book came out, you know, there, there were various people having various views and I think it's good to have discussions. But I had one person say um, that I was a danger to the profession. Oh, that's wow. intense. <laughs> that is intense. At the time I was like, at the time I shook it off because let's be fair, I lived in the West of Scotland. I've heard a lot worse. But <laughs> but if, if that was said to someone new who was just learning and who hadn't been through stuff and who was, that could actually be more dangerous to the profession than any view could be. Mm -hmm. So it's anything that kind of uses uh, humiliation, misusing your influence, misusing your power, dragging someone publicly. Yeah. There's a, such a wide variety and I'm, I'm sure all of us have seen incidents where people were dragged publicly either at a conference or on social media or anywhere like that with their name was just ripped apart and that's the, it, while i can understand the anger when people say stuff we disagree with there has to be a point where we say no that's that's not okay yeah and at the, at the risk of doing something that i hate when people do that is saying yeah interpreting is a very particular very special profession but um i i think what what happens quite often is that sort of our our professional our work as interpreters is very tied up with our personality and who we are and there's a strong degree of identification i think mm -hmm. with our profession so it's just very very easy or i think it can happen very quickly that criticism or just a, a snide remark you know can turn into bullying maybe that's not even intention but that's what happens so i think that's one of the issues as well i noticed something um so helen and i were doing a parenting course and the people doing the course said with misbehavior in your children it's often a gift that they've got in their life that's gone awry and every interpreter that i know is incredibly good with their mouth and with their language so if there's someone you don't want to drag you it's an interpreter. And I think, is it possible that we sometimes get care so much about our work and get so good with our words that our very gifting can actually go the wrong way that we can get creative with how we say awful things about people as mm. well as being creative with how we do our interpreting? I don't know. You mean abusing our gift of language? Yeah, gift I of mean, the gab. I, you know, <laughs> turning from a superhero to a supervillain. <laughs> it's a fine line. You know, all it takes is one bad day, as the Joker says. But um, I think, if anything, shouldn't we be more careful in in how we phrase it, just because we know the power of words and we know the power of, you know, also the wrong words. I think. If anything, it would seem to me more logical that we would be more careful about what we say and how we say it. And to whom? Like more diplomatic, and, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ideal case. I don't know. I'm yeah. guessing <laughs> best, if, best if case you want to, you know, like if you want to trash talk someone or be really mean and nasty to someone, I'm guessing you could also use the power and, and turn it around. But then I think that goes for anyone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you have to be an interpreter if you want to be nasty to someone to find a very creative or a very 
colorful way of, of portraying it or you know what I, does that mm -hmm. make sense yeah it does yeah i'm also reminded of um a blog post that somebody wrote a couple of months ago i think which was i think entitled being the youngest person in the room mm -hmm. so i think that is also something that um i think happens more often than we think or than mm -hmm. we're aware of is just being a junior interpreter maybe your first assignment one of your first assignments and just, um, you know, maybe the more senior colleagues are not even doing this intentionally or it's not coming from a bad place, but you kind of feel immediately that, hmm, do I belong here? Am I, am I, uh, this, I, I guess, is tied up with the whole question of, you know, imposter don't syndrome. Say imposter syndrome. <laughs> don't say it! <laughs> First buzzword of the night, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to get a bingo in five Check. minutes. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think but it's the true, though. Yeah. In, so there, someone introduced me to the term recently of microaggressions, mm. and I had never come across it. And we've got some examples. So thank you to the 13 people who answer their our call for surveys and examples. And little microaggressions like not sending, not sharing prep documents, or things like you know, not being ready to give someone a term if they're asking for it. And it's like, these, these are tiny, tiny things. And it's possibly very easy to fall into it. Like, you know, I know one to, on the very few jobs where I've been the senior interpreter, it's very easy to think, don't they know about? But actually you think, well, when I was that early in my career, I didn't know about whatever that was either. Um, and things like if someone says, oh, I, I really, I remember saying to someone, I really need to work on my consec because my consec is rusty. And their answer was, well, if you'd gone to a better university, your consec would be better. So, I, yeah, I call BS. <laughs> <laughs> like, that really? is such a load of nonsense. But it's, it's very easy to slip into that stuff without seeing it. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at some of the examples here. Some of it is... It's a bit like saying you, you, you yeah. can never work for one of the big institutions if you haven't been to EZ, you know, or ETI in Geneva. Yeah. Nonsense. Of course you can. It could work. And it's, yeah, it's, the someone, who was it? Um, I, I read someone talk about the phrase, don't, don't you already know? It's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. That, like what? About what? I, no, but like, it could, it could be, you know, someone say, don't you already know the term for such and such? Don't you already know? Oh. Da, 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 da. Don't you already? And it's like, yeah. It, it's, How can it's, you not know that? Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. How can you not know that? Mm. <laughs> I felt like the, the youngest, least experienced person in the room sometimes when I've admitted not knowing something, you've had to call. I mean, it's probably not brilliant, but Collie's going, you didn't learn that? I'm like, no. I, I can't name all of the arms of the of the United Nations without thinking. No, I just can't. Yeah. So that would be sort of a terminology, like a terminology microaggression, I guess. If we could yeah. call it that. But yeah, but if we if we look at the responses, we we God, did did you see like sort of topics that came up again and again? Because I th I think I can see a few. So one of them is sort of age or experience related. Yeah, so I think that's mm. definitely yeah. Uh, so I think we should also say, thread. so it was a wide range of ages that partook in the, in the survey. It was also a wide range of experience levels from less than five years to more than 25 years even. Super interesting, yeah. So it was really, really interesting. And it was 70% women, 30% men, and 77% have experienced bullying as an interpreter. We did not correlate, you know, the age groups or the gender to the bullying um, answers, which we could yeah, have. I mean, it's not a scientific study. You know, exactly. Really so it, it wasn't supposed to be a scientific total, study, but yeah. I think it, it's, um, that's a scary number. You know, 77% of 13 participants. So granted, it's not... Representative. Representative. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't think of the word. Uh, uh, how can you not know that? That's... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't study in Paris. My life is a mess. I don't know what, what to do. But um, yeah, so I think that's quite shocking to, to, to see that. And it, it, says, it says something that, now, the likelihood is because you put it out, it's more likely the people who experienced it would respond that that's normal. 
But what shocks me is the severity of some of the things that we've got here. So we've got people being lied about. We've got rumours being spread. We've got sexual harassment. We've got... um, It looks like in a couple of cases, people trying to ruin other people's careers. Oh, wait, then I have been bullied. Oh. Oh, yeah, see, I didn't even... That didn't even occur to me. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, he said (laughs) casually. No, more. no, because, you know, it's like, um, yeah, just rumors being spread about you and stuff. Like, that has happened. Mm-hmm. That has happened for sure. I didn't take that as bullying. But, yeah, now that you mention it, that is, that's, yeah, that's, of course, part of it. That probably yeah. comes with the terrain, right? Interpreting being a that's kind of what I particular thought, you know, profession that's again. Kind of part of the of the. Right I'm not of, saying it's okay, but you know. Yeah, that's why I didn't, you know, register to me as like bullying. That's just like everybody, almost that I, every almost everybody that I know has kind of gone through that or has like stories about that. But of course, it's yeah. bullying. It just it felt is. so normal that is, you yeah. know, yeah, for sure, of course. Oh yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that, that kind of illustrates the whole point, right? That you need a wide definition and some. Many things that you may have experienced, you didn't even realize that it was, mm. but it clearly was in hindsight. Yeah, oh, and then on top of all of that, sorry, Jonathan, just real quick, on top of all of that, I think, you know, obviously the three of us as well have the advantage that we're three white males. So I think a lot of <laughs> crap has just not gone our way that would have gone a lot of other people's oh, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's just, yeah. You're just acknowledging, acknowledging our privilege here. Sorry, Jonathan. Yeah. I mean, if if you look at, I'm I'm not going to reveal which bullying tool I'm using, but if you look at all the bullying tools, the range of stuff they cover goes from being given tasks below your training and being ignored, all the way up to sexual harassment. And if if literally anything in there, um, it it really so bullying for me the the importance of bullying is you recognise it's subjective, but just because something is subjective doesn't mean it's not important. And one of the most difficult things that I've had to deal with, not so much as an adult, but more kind of when I was younger, is saying, I feel bullied by this situation and the person going, well, that's normal. You know, it's normal to do this thing. It's not bullying. This is just how we act. And and the way that you guys reacted there, I thought it says something about the profession that we have certain behaviours that are simply deemed acceptable. In the next ITI bulletin, I've got an article talking called uh, on community asking the question, are there values and behaviours and even books and articles that are promoting behaviours that we shouldn't be promoting? And I was, you know, given the example of the realisation with the Me Too movement and things like it, that there was a culture that said this is acceptable, but actually no way was that ever, was that ever acceptable. And, and I think bullying raises a question for me, you know, are there values, are there expectations that we've allowed to live in interpreting going, it just comes with the territory, you know? Yeah. No, no, it shouldn't. Um, but yeah. I guess the, the interesting question then is, why do we just accept it or why do we think it's okay? Why do we think, well, it's just always been that way? Yeah. I guess that that's just the way things are done in this profession. You know, I think it's because, especially in, in freelancing, you kind of get along to go to go along is that the phrase um because if i don't tolerate you this is a hypothetical right so i'm not speaking about my own my own situation but if you if somebody's being mean to you if you feel like somebody's bullying you but they've hired you for a job you still want the next job because you're still you know in that phase especially when you're starting That's young exactly. and i think it's a lot of, of of that relationship and that network building that you have to do and we kind of have to rely on each other, even if we don't like each other. You know, the one colleague that I was talking about in the very beginning, I work with him on two jobs a year, not by my own choice, but I'm not going to not take the job because I know I'm going to be there with him. I just say, listen, just we're not getting along. Just shut up. You know, I'm not going to talk to you. It's fine. Let's just do the job. And um, so I think a lot of it has to do with that. That's why we take more crap than we should. Hmm. And that's why it's quote unquote normal, because that's just how, I don't know. Well, it's not yeah, normal, but you just accept it because yeah. you want to get yeah, yeah, recruited yeah, quote again. unquote normal. Of course, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There are also power structures in play. So, yeah. if you're doing, can I just put this out there? That if you're doing a master's in interpreting, there are likely going to be times where you feel that you're struggling, or you're not fight, or you're, you know, things aren't going well for whatever reason. We need to normalize students saying, putting their hand up and saying, "Look, I'm struggling." Yes. But if you have someone who throughout their entire degree is feeling constantly pressed down and pushed, 
we can't normalize the idea that training is a time where you should be crying every day. And no. this is where you, you have to have a balance of, you know, training to do anything. Mm. I was talking to someone about this with PhDs, you know, I think it's normal during your PhD that at some point you will feel like you're not going to finish. But that doesn't mean that we should create a toxic culture that says you should be working yourself to death. It's, it's that line of learning anything is hard, fine. But you should be learning in a healthy way and we should be creating supportive environments. You know, your first job is going to be nerve-wracking, but it's not okay for your birthmate to go, ha, 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 you're a newbie. Yeah. But that's what's so interesting about this example you just had, you know, postdocs or a PhD, but, but also just doing a master's and, and talking about how difficult it can be. Because we just said that social media can be a space where people are bullied or, you know, put down or... I don't know, worse, I guess, but they can also be a place where people, you know, support each other and where people can share stories and just get just get acceptance from others. You know, it doesn't always have to be, yeah, but you should do X, Y, and Z. Sometimes it's just enough to say, yeah, I, I see you're struggling. Sorry. Or I, I, I had the same experience, for example. That can be very helpful. Yeah. So it's interesting that it can be both soul crushing and helpful <laughs> in a way. But, you know, also on social media, I just want to put this out there real quick. It's very healthy to block people as well. Like if somebody's really, and you know, this is really funny and I'm not even being, trying to be funny, but no, no, you know, you can block people on Twitter and I've done it and it's, it's, it's good for your, for the health of your soul. Like it makes your life so much better. Yeah. yeah basically mental health care for sure. Yeah. I think that, that the lines got a little bit blurred that because often people say, well, but you know, you have to. Sometimes you just have to deal with people having a different opinion or, you know, but you don't have to deal with people giving you crap. Pardon my exactly. French, but, yep. you know. Do you speak French? <laughs> Mais oui, monsieur. Okay, can I just put this out there? And it's probably going to be, to use that other buzzword, controversial. <laughs> just Bingo. Because, Bingo. Just, just because someone is influential or is an influencer or has power in our sector, that doesn't mean you have to keep following them. And if yes. no matter how influential, no matter 100%. how big a name they are, if you want to block them, no one's going to care. And, you know, there are, you know, there are people who have influence in our sector that I mute or I block. I'm not going to say who because it wouldn't be fair. Is that why you haven't retweeted me? In <laughs> <laughs> Just no, to- I hoped you would find out. No, no, of course <laughs> I would block you, Alex. So I, I have this, it's kind of off topic, but I have this thing of I used to want to respond to everyone who said something stupid, mm. especially when I was a teenager. Now I'm, now I'm getting to the, is this worth my brain space? Because mm-hmm. I'm getting so busy with stuff. I have four kids. I have a business. I have research. My brain has a maximum amount of space in it. And I ask myself all the time, is it worth dedicating any brain space to responding to what's going on? And it gets to the point where if there's a person who keeps coming up on my social media feeds who I want to engage with over stuff that's not worth my brain space, I hit the mute button. Mm -hmm. And it's not saying they're a bad person. It's not saying they're bullying, but it's just the stuff they're surfacing I don't want to get sucked down that alley. And especially with there, we all know people who, if you respond, you're going to have like a three year long re- reply response thing on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. I don't have the brain space for that anymore. So it's safer to just mute. Because also, especially on social media, some people just throw crap out there in order to instigate, you know, like they, you say the <laughs> sky is blue and they're like, actually the sky is red. Let's fight about this. And oftentimes there's just no point in going back and forth with them because the whole point of that conversation for them is to start a fight. Yeah. So oftentimes, like you just really don't want to get sucked down into that rabbit hole at all. What's for scrolling? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm, to be fair, I used to do that a couple of times myself. I try not to do it anymore, but... But that, no, no, there's a difference be- between trolling and, sorry, being a dick, you know? Yeah, but also, you know, sometimes you just want to play devil's advocate. You know, if you're actually having a substantial conversation about any given topic, mm-hmm. you yeah. might want to play, okay, th- maybe A is true, but what about if B is also true? Could we then say, no, 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 And then you're not just necessarily being a troll, but you know what I mean? Mm. And I think this is, it really comes down to two things. There's a great book by a guy called David Livermore called Cultural Intelligence. And he points out what cultures are made out of. And 
so it comes down to two things. One, it comes down to professional culture. And I've never asked this question before on the show, but I don't think we'll get an answer to it. But there's a big question in my head just now. What do we want the professional culture of interpreting to look like? And culture isn't just what you post on social media or, you know, how you treat people. Culture is the assumptions. Uh, so people see the behavior and the dress and the food. So, you know, you go to Germany, you expect certain things of German culture, but there's this whole lot of assumptions, this whole lot of beliefs, this whole lot of um, things that get taken for granted in cultures that you don't see but are there anyway. And so I'm thinking, you know, what would we want interpreting culture to look like? What should we be able to take for granted? What are the assumptions that should be there? And then on top of that, what do the behaviours look like? That's a big question. And to me, one of the answers is, and it's the second part of my thing, is it comes down to what it means to be professional and to treat people professionally. Um, and ask a question that I still don't have an answer to is when and how is it right to correct someone and say, that's not right. Yeah, I mean, this ties into the whole sort of feedback culture and how is it okay to, first of all, help somebody, you know, write down numbers, terminology for them, give them feedback, all that jazz. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We could talk about this for days, I guess. I would always hear when it comes to terminology help and numbers, because all the booth, to me, the definition of a good booth is one where, well, I, there was a, a lady who I work with quite a lot and it got to the point where we could predict what each other would need help with just by body language or just by knowing in advance what each found tough. It's wonderful, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It, it's hard to get to, but then if you've gone from that environment to the environment where your booth mates like, well, when I'm off shift, I'm off shift. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to change gears in a car without <laughs> engaging the clutch. Yeah, but see, I mean, sorry, Alex, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, uh, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the stories that people were sending us through this forum, and again, thanks for that, was sort of more booth manners, I think. So, you know, it was people just typing too loudly, being noisy, just leaving, leaving the booth for the entire time they're not on. So things that I would just classify as bad booth manners, but I guess that can easily sort of shift and tilt Exactly, into just being a right. dick again. Yeah, so I yeah. really think there's a fine line between just being a dick and then, you know, bullying someone. But I also think it's a lot of it has to do with intent. You know, because I know a lot of colleagues who just leave, you know, like they might want to have a smoke break, they might 100%. have to call, I don't know, their kid's school or whatever, and they just leave and I don't mind. Like, I'm fine. You know, it's my, it's my turn. I'm going to make it work. Even if I don't know where I'm going to look at it, you know, like I'll make it work. It's fine. But I think if somebody's leaving the booth with that kind of malicious intent of I'm abandoning you on purpose, yeah. then I think it's a completely different equation. And I think that's what a lot of those stories were about because it's usually, I don't think any of the stories was just like, oh, they left, uh, they left me alone in the booth. I think it was always, that was one of a litany of bullet points that that other person yeah. did to them. It's just sort of sy systemic, sy systematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Systematic. Jack jackassery. Sure. Jackassery. <laughs> usually the only reason I'll, I'll leave the booth during the other person's shift is because I need to go to the toilet. And let's face it, the amount of water we drink, it's going to happen. Um, but I will sign, say, do something first to say, I'm just going to the toilet, I'll be back. And usually if I'm in a nice conference place, I'll make sure I grab a pastry on the way back because who doesn't like pastry? <laughs> or even like, you know, I think it's good manners if you really have to, to leave the booth to grab a hot drink for your booth mate where you're out because, you know, it's a way of saying sorry. But also, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that in most conferences you have a good idea of when it's going to be okay to leave the booth. Silly story. I was interpreting a social policy thing once with my favourite booth mate. My session was, you know, either of us could have done it with our eyes shut. It was really simple. Turn over the mic to, to my booth mate. And it's this Irish trade unionist who starts by saying pretty much word for word, since I'm in Edinburgh, I would like to begin my speech with a quote from Robert Burns. And I knew then that if I left the booth in the next half hour, I would never be allowed back in <laughs> for good reason. And it's like, if you know there's going to be some stupid long finance speech, or if you know that the speaker coming up is famous for quoting Plato and Socrates and goodness knows whatever other you know it's, it's not okay to leave the booth do, during that stuff 
But it, it, if it's like if it's the chair's introductory speech, I'm sorry. Pretty much any interpreter can do that on their own. We we know when it's okay and when it's not. Usually, yeah, that's true. So another thing that is a uh, well, it's actually extremely uncomfortable to talk about because, as Alex pointed out earlier, we're just three male white dudes. But it it did come up not only in the responses that we got to our um, little totally unscientific survey, but it's also that I've, something that I've heard from many, unfortunately, too many female colleagues over the years, just in conversations, is the whole sort of topic of sexual harassment, which happens way too often. And it seems there's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a, a trend is not the right word, but it's there, there seem to be a lot of clients out there, and yes, they're all male, um, who seem to have a very wrong idea of what an interpreter does or should be doing, a female interpreter, that is. So I don't know if you've yeah. heard, you know, those stories as well. So it's usually, it starts with, you know, supposed compliments that are actually, you know, very uncomfortable um, and make people uncomfortable. And it it it's also about, you know, being too close to the interpreter, if, you know, could be shishotage, for example, or just if you're in a group together somewhere. Um, just a lot of in inappropriate behavior. And I think that's, it's just really awful. It's really, really awful. And also the, the stories that people have been sharing are just, uh, it's gut-wrenching, really is. And I think the question that comes up in my mind is, is how, how much can be done to prevent that? There will always be, until they all get jailed, there will always be harassers around. Um, and sadly, I'm aware from stories that I know that sadly amongst certain groups of people, it's more common than others and it's deemed acceptable by them. Mm. And it's so maybe the, the question then is, you know, how do we create an interpreting culture where even clients realize there's a limit? And is there any scope anywhere to have, you can't do a blacklist because, because of GDPR, but are there <laughs> warning, you know, Ideally, we'd want to have a blacklist and just say, look, if you harass one of my colleagues, none of us are interpreting for you ever. Do you hear that? Yeah, I think that's definitely one part is just being a, it sounds kind of trite, but just being an ally, just being a decent yeah. person and looking out for your colleagues, if you want to put it that way. That's that's true. So that, that would apply to colleagues on the same team. That would apply to consultant interpreters. Specifically, I think that's what you were just saying, Jonathan, right? Yeah. And I suppose... Some people would say as well, well, you know, it's culture specific and in, in, in some cultures, that's just the way it is. But no, 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 no. no. And I mean, li literally, so I'm just deciding on a policy right now. If I'm in the consultant on any job and there are credible reports of the client doing that or even reports from, you know, all the colleagues that I would work with, I trust. So the reports are instantly credible. If there are reports of that, the client is never getting any interpreting from anyone from me as a consultant again for there it's not like a three strikes and you're out it's a one strike and don't even try yeah um and, and i think it's not about sort of you know making yeah. a fuss or kicking up no. a stink i think you you can say that sort of discreetly but you can still be very firm about you know this this is not okay you know it's easy enough for a consultant to say thank you very much for your request from quote but following the feedback from the interpreters on the last job, I'm not prepared to take any work from you. Yeah. That's all you need to say. And I mean, that is a really tough decision, especially in times like these, you know, in this economy. But um, yeah, I think it would be important to to do yeah, that. Yeah, to, to make us, I, I would like to see as many consultants as possible sign up to that standard that if they get reports of that, they just go, nope. Because people, some people don't realize they're doing it. Some people get a kick out of, of doing it. And I think I think with but it's like it's like bullying as a whole. People get a kick out of that stuff. But wait, power thing. Ah, oh, yeah, but like totally. you know, if a company suddenly realizes that they cannot get interpreters because their people have been behaving badly, I'm sorry, but stuff gets done because companies want to export. They want to have conferences. Yeah, but Jonathan, it, they're always going to get somebody. That's the trouble. Like they're never not going to find interpreters. I guess all you can do is make it hard, harder and harder for them, and, and certainly. Yeah. The, the idea of, you know, if the interpreters that they can get are becoming worse and worse quality because all the good ones know who they are, mm. you know, that's fine. But it's how you do that legally and fairly and how you do that well 
can, can we just say really clearly that's not okay? <laughs> and if, if you it think it needs to be said, but yeah, maybe if you think that's okay, feel free to find another profession. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I guess we could turn that around. What you said earlier is that you know people who do this are a danger to the profession. I guess that yeah. it's probably not overly dramatic saying that because, you know, it creates a toxic atmosphere and it will drive people away and it will drive people out. Well, and that's just not on. I got asked recently, you know, what do you see the future? People ask me because of the second book, what do you see as the future of interpreting? And I annoy people because I say, as far as I'm concerned, the future of interpreting depends on what interpreters do. Duh. And yeah, but it's, yeah, true. <laughs> and so, like, you know, if we don't want any more interpreters, then bullying's okay. If we if we would like a new generation of interpreters, then bullying's not okay. Is yeah. I, I hate binary distinctions, but that one's pretty clear to me. Yeah, it's, and it's I think and I think another one of those things. I mean, we we talked about the the sexual harassment in the booth or wherever it may occur, but I think a lot of the other stories were also about the harassment and bullying in the universities during the education. You know perpetrated by the teachers, by the lecturers. And I know of a few friends of mine who, they're still pretty traumatized, some of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not about necessarily giving feedback. It's just about, well, I guess it's also about giving feedback in a way. But, you know, if somebody says, I don't even, I don't even know why you're here. You don't speak a word of English. Like, you should just leave and find another profession. To an interpreter who's doing English, who I've worked with many times, who's actually really great then you know like that's not constructive criticism that is not your job as a lecturer at university to tell somebody you don't speak any english get out of here when they clearly do and th that's just one personal kind of anecdote of a yeah. friend of mine and but, uh, yeah just two things on that i mean first of all that that seemed to be a sort of accepted strategy or accepted thing to do for teachers and trainers of interpreting for a while is that you have to break them first and then you build them back up and turn them into proper interpreters, that kind of thing. Mm. And um, I'd like to believe it's a thing of the past, but maybe it isn't or not entirely. I'm not I'm not so sure. But um, I've also heard sort of the flip side of the story is that it, especially if you're in a university system that charges students a lot, uh, very high fees <laughs> uh, and tuition, um, it can happen that you have a student who actually is very bad and has no interest in improving and won't listen to teacher's advice. It's probably, it's very few people, I'm, I'm pretty sure, but they do exist. I know, I know that for a fact, but you can't tell them and you can't kick them out. So it kind of cuts, it kind of goes both right. ways. Can I say also, can we talk about the role of visiting interpreters? So when I was at university, we had two come in. We had a freelancer come in and we had a staffer from the institutions come in. And the staffer from the institutions came in, criticized the equipment. Maybe at the time it was fair, it certainly isn't now. And said it's to me- It's also not very helpful. No, also not very helpful. But uh, on the way out of class, this staffer, and I'm very careful not even to give away whether they were male or female because, you know, but this staffer said to me, I'd had, I'd had a horrible session, you know, it happens at uni, um, said, I don't think you're going to make it. You could, you should look for another career. Oh, oh yeah. And if you want to survive as an interpreter, you need to get rid of your accent. Thankfully, a couple of months later, we had a freelancer come in who I've since actually done a job where she was there and she was brilliant again, who said to me, you did a really great job. Your accent is an asset. There are very few interpreters who sound like you. It's going to make you unique. Great. Well done. I tell you, the, the impact of that one person who said, actually, you've got something special that you can work with. You did a really good job. Go for it. We underestimate as interpreters and as colleagues, I think, how much the impact of one person can have on your career. If I hadn't had the support, you know, due to my master's degree, it was the, the, my first year of married life. You know, if I hadn't had a lot of support, that one sentence, you know, I think you should find another job, that would have broken me. And I don't know how easily I would have recovered. And yes, there are times when you have to say to someone, look, you've got issues with your performance, but saying you have issues with your performance and if I were you, I would work on X, Y, and Z is totally different to go get another job. But I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier, that it's, you know, the whole rite of passage thing that 
you come into the into the profession, you're going to be working with someone, you technically take someone's job away. And I think this is also a story that I've heard from a lot of people at universities. Gate, gatekeeping, yeah. Exactly, the gatekeeping thing. That they say, oh, uh, if, if Jonathan comes into the market, he might take one of my jobs. Jonathan, you should go and find another job. You're mm. never going to make it. Just stop immediately. I've actually heard that from a few people who are now luckily successful interpreters in the marketplace. Um, but, you know, their teachers were like, oh, you're never going to be good enough. You should just find another profession. Give up right now. Why, what are you even doing here? And we also had that a few times in, in, the, in the feedback in the survey that we got from the survey that we got um, that that happens a lot. And then I think especially... I, I don't know. I'm just, this is going to be spitballing right now, but I could imagine this is particularly insidious in the institutions just because you work with the same people over and over again. So if somebody starts spreading rumors about you before you even head in there because they have connections, because they're training you wherever it may be at which university, and then they have connections to the European Union or to the United Nations, and then they start spreading rumors there, it's already kind of scorched earth before you even get there. At least in the freelance market, they don't know where you're going to end up. So they can't taint the entire market of Germany. You know what I mean? Like they might be able to spread rumors in Munich or Berlin or wherever, but they won't be able to spread the news in the entire country far and wide. But see, that's one one thing that annoys me so much about this. Yeah, you're never going to become an interpreter. You might as well stop now. Is um, the, the interpreting market is so big and there are so many different ways of being an interpreter and becoming an interpreter that I don't, I don't know if anybody can really say you're never going to become an interpreter. Maybe, maybe what they mean is you'll never become like me, or maybe you know you'll never work for the institutions, or you'll you'll never make it on the private market, or so you know. Why bother? I don't think it's meant as constructive criticism, and that's the whole thing. No, like not at all. That's what yeah, I'm saying. You know, yeah. I'm sure in certain instances there are, and I think that's just a fact of life. There are people who are doing a, a university course on interpreting who will never make it as an interpreter because they're not good enough. But then there's a way of saying it, you know, of taking the person to the side and saying, listen, let's try this, let's try that, you know, and you can try to encourage them still and kind of go on that path with them instead of just saying, you're crap, give up right now. To be fair, we had really, really good encouraging interpreting tutors that were just that one person. I am now where the if you only hear someone, it's different if you hear someone over an entire two semesters and you realize by the end, they either haven't put the work in or even if they put the work in, you're not sure how ready. You can say to them, look, you can try as hard to, as you like to, to be an interpreter. It's up to you. Keep going if you want to. Here are some things that you can do constructively or alternatively, here are some other things you might be good at. That's an entirely different thing. And also, I would like us to bust the myth of you're taking someone's job because in the institutions that may be correct, in the private nope, market, no <laughs> yeah, but you know, in the private market, it's nonsense. One, because it's not your job; it's the job of whoever the consultant or the client gives a job to. You know, that's not your job. But also, in the private market, there's such a thing as new clients and new growth, and you know, people retiring. There's Moving always to people. Yeah, there, there's people retiring. There's companies going. I was talking to Henry Liu years and years three, four years ago saying, as far as I'm concerned, the main growth market for conference interpreting and business interpreting are the people right now who can't even spell the word interpreter. And I'm really excited about the new generation of interpreters that I'm seeing coming through, trained in many cases by incredible teachers, because they're coming out of interpreting not just as good interpreters, but some of them are fantastic at marketing as well. Mm. And they're the people who are going to come out of their degree because they've been taught brilliantly they're going to come out with their degree and they don't need necessarily, they might not need us to give them much work after the first, I don't know, year or so, because they'll be create, they'll be winning clients that we didn't even think to reach. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's incredibly cool. Interpreting is on the edge of kind of growing massively. That's fantastic. And, you know, if, if we can say to the new generation, no matter what they told you at uni, if you've passed with decent grades, you're good enough. If you know how to market, you're going to create your own jobs. Just ignore the folks who are scared of you stealing their jobs because they weren't theirs in the first place. Just get on with it. <laughs> Maybe they're just afraid they're not good enough. <laughs> you know, All of us are, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just that. Guys, yes. I think this is the imposter syndrome that we're talking about here. Oh, is this something that's sort of specific to the interpreting space? or? I don't know. I think that's controversial. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, Just get to but, back um, into the recording. But I think um, one of the one of the comments from the survey that I thought was really interesting is, you know, this this person was bullied by by a colleague and contradicted and corrected in a very harsh manner in front of other colleagues. And then that person wrote, I learned a lot about what not to do to colleagues from that experience. And I think that's very true. Hmm. Because once something like that happens to you, you're very conscious of it and of not doing it onto others. So I think just you know, by, well, hopefully not having to go through it firsthand, but by knowing about it and talking about it openly to other colleagues, you can really kind of raise awareness, which is, I guess, also the whole point of, you know, stuff like Me Too and all these, these um, well, I don't want to call it a movement because it should have happened a long time ago. And, you know, mm. these societal changes that we're luckily finally going through is creating awareness in order are, to, yeah. yeah, as painful as they are, but, you know, these are, these are reckonings that need to happen. And I think it's creating that awareness for everybody, not just for the person who is affected by that situation so that everybody can look out for that particular toxic behavior and make sure that it doesn't happen again. So I think going forward, hopefully we'll see a lot less of that. I, I want to throw you guys, I was going to say two questions, but let's just start with, with one because two is probably too many. If if I were to say to you guys, okay, um, we're starting to unearth this stuff and bullying and interpreting, we're, we're becoming more aware of it. If someone were to say to you, okay, what do you think, you know, interpreting as a whole or interpreters on their own, what decisions should people be making today or whenever they listen to this to try and reduce the amount of bullying and interpreting? What can he, you know, we wait for associations, but what can individuals do to reduce the amount of bullying and interpreting? I was actually afraid of asking that question myself, but I'm kind of glad you're bringing it up. But it's a tricky one. Um, I think it really, I mean, as stupid as it sounds, I think it really starts with being aware of it and sort of casting a wide net when it comes to looking for these, you know, bad, for this bad behavior. And uh, yeah, just speaking up when you when you see it d done to others, I guess that that would be a good step as well. Yeah, I think acknowledging it as it happens, if you're in the presence of it, acknowledging it right then and there and not just, you know, if I see Alex being bullied, I shouldn't just after the conference come up to him and be like, oh, by the way, I saw that that happened. Yeah, well, great, but I didn't say anything. So I didn't really help in that moment, you know, so like you need to confront it as it happens. But again, that's kind of a, uh, I don't know how to put this, but you know, again, it's because it's a question of, of the approach, because some people say, yeah. don't address it as it happens openly in front of everybody, take the person to the side and say, how do you want me to handle this? Should I say this openly to the other person? You know, there's a lot of different ways that individuals would want the situation handled hmm. with them, for them however you want to say this. Um, so I think it's delicate. I think I would prefer it if you see it. So I, I don't know. I see Alex is being bullied. I take him to the side in that moment, whenever we have a second, you know, the next coffee break, say, hey, by the way, I saw that this and this happened. Are you okay? Do you want me to say anything? I'm happy to say something. Yep. And then give them the choice. Because exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's important that the person has the, the choice if they want to handle it themselves. If they don't want to handle it, that's also an option for them. Well, there was a very famous advert from Gillette that came out, I think, about a year ago. And I, I loved that advert. It got me more like likes on Tumblr than ever before. And it was, if I remember it earlier, it was just these kind of guys doing stuff. And when one of their friends did something stupid, one of them just saying, hey, that's not okay. And kind of showing, you know, this is how we actually behave. And I wonder if, certainly when it comes to bullying between colleagues with clients, it's a little bit more delicate. But when it comes to bullying between colleagues... Maybe, maybe we could start our troublesome terps. Hey, that's not okay. Campaign, um, and it doesn't have to be the person being bullied. And it's really low pressure if you just say to someone, "Hey, that's that's not okay. That's not cool." What was that ad about? Just remind me briefly, Gillette. Was that a sexist thing, or was it the opposite of that? It was a kind of sexual harassment thing, and they were. I think they had some of it where the guys were behaving badly, and somewhere they were doing the right thing. And it shouldn't have been controversial. Because I'm sorry if you find. Calling if you find saying to your mates it's not okay to sexual harass problematic, then we need to talk. But mm. um, you know, having a hey, that's not okay approach. You know, you don't have to call someone out and say you're a loony. Mm. But I, can I just say that I was really proud of Alexander Drexel 
I think about nine months ago, where there was a, a very public instance of bullying and you did the equivalent of, hey, that's not okay. And I thought that's what I would like the whole profession to be, that, you know, you don't have to turn around to the bully and call them names because that's just bullying the bully. That's just silly. But just having a, hey, that's not okay. Um, or we don't do that here. I love... Um, hearing people talk about culture when they say the words that's not something we do here are really powerful oh, just saying that's, yeah that, that's not how we do it here yeah um i just have to say because um i, I probably I, I don't know if i would have done it alone but i just want to say i was very grateful i had two colleagues by my side yeah jan rausch and matthew Perret. so thanks guys Maybe we should launch a "Hey, that's not okay" campaign. Or a, and the other question that I was going to ask is broader: is we 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 have a way of dealing with bullying on the spot, but can you think of ways? Well, let, let's make it more positive. What would you like to see in the culture of interpreting the the stuff that we can see and the stuff that is just our assumptions and attitudes? What changes would you like to see of the culture of interpreting as a profession? Big question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure. I, I I completely understand where you're going with this. Well, I think I do, but it, I think it's it's a very it's a very big question. I, you you could. Uh... I'll give you a simple example. I it sounds weird, but I would like to see the culture of interpreting change to honor diversity more, not just diversity in terms of skin color or male or female, but diversity in in terms of acceptable practices diversity in terms of to me if you interpret anywhere you're an interpreter and so that means that we should acknowledge diversity by valuing court interpreters the same as we do conference interpreters listening to their opinion on topics that we would normally think were just the province of conference interpreters you know i saw this recently with the whole uh, video remote interpreting thing for me the experts that we should have been listening to were the people who have been doing that for years in other forms of interpreting. And so to have a culture in interpreting that says, you know, yes, there are recognized standards. And as I say all the time, whenever I talk about this, the standards are important. Yes, we don't want to have people deliberately undercutting each other. I agree. But there are a diversity of ways to attract clients. There are a diversity of clients that we work with. There are a diversity of ways, of acceptable ways to set up an interpreting project. And so I would like to see as, as part of a cultural shift that we start erasing some of the walls that we've set up between different forms of interpreting, different kinds of interpreting, interpreting in different contexts, and that we honour the diversity of the profession. Because I think if we have, if we can do that, some of the bullying will go away because we'll go, well, you know, I might not have interpreted it that way. But actually, that's a perfectly okay way to interpret that, or that's a perfectly okay way to react to that situation. It's not what I would have done, but it's fine. And so that that's the big culture that I would like to see. And it, okay, it's linked to my most recent academic paper. But, you know, <laughs> that's okay. You can help that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I guess diversity would be would be very helpful. Although I get the impression that it's I don't know. Is it becoming less of an issue? I don't know. Um, I mean, just purely from my personal experience, if I look at, let's just say, more experienced colleagues, <laughs> uh, there's much more homogeneity to the people when I, you know, compared to, let's mm -hmm. call it the younger generation. You know, it's purely anecdotal, purely from my personal experience. So I think that's something that is already changing or about to change. Um, that's not going to solve all the problems, you know, automatically, but I think it's a start. Um, yeah, but I find it difficult to to give an all-encompassing answer to the question, I think. I think mine would be about gossiping. Because the thing is, and you were yeah. talking about that at the beginning, Jonathan, you know, we use our words all the time. I think sometimes we just talk too much, especially about each other. Um, it's... I mean, let's be honest, sometimes it's just fun talking about on the person, you know, talking trash, if trash they piss you off some way, you know, like, it's just fun. Um, yeah. But you have to keep it light. But some people just really go in on other people behind their backs. Yeah, they just jump at the occasion, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's yeah. like, by the way, did you know this? Did you hear that? Oh, my God, how could they even? And that is not only unfair to that person, but it's also unfair to 
to you in that instance, if they're venting to you or if they're gossiping to you because it puts you in the uncomfortable position, you know, you might like that other colleague, you might not agree with what they're saying. What do you do? Do you cause a conflict in that situ- in that moment? Hmm. Do you go to that other colleague that they were gossiping about? You know what I mean? It's a very, it, it creates this kind of whirlwind of tomfoolery. <laughs> nice one. And, uh, you know, most of the times it's unnecessary because what, what, has, yeah. what good has gossip ever done? Yeah. Like, it's not a productive thing to do. Totally not. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what, what I try to do in those situations is, I mean, sometimes I just I just let it go, which is probably not not great. And I'll just, you know, think to myself, yeah, I'll just let them let them talk. Um, and sometimes I, I'll say, you know, no, that's that's not how I sort of met that person. I have a complete I got a completely different impression from that person. It's interesting that you would sort of see it that way. And that surprisingly often that will kind of sh- shut the whole thing down. <laughs> Interestingly, you know, if you just refuse to play along, um, if you just um, bl- block it off or just say, oh, interesting. No, that's not at all my impression of that person. <laughs> that can that can be surprisingly effective. And I guess it's kind of the equivalent of saying that's not what we do around here, which I really yeah, like. Yeah, but I think that's a more slippery slope in that instance. If you say, oh, I have a completely different impression of that person because that runs the risk of that the gossiper putting you in the same basket as the gossipy because they're thinking, oh. But there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. No, there's nothing you can yeah. do about that. But, you know, that's why I think you th- that is a reason why you would possibly not want to do that. So all I'm saying is it's a very mm. complex situation and it yeah. can, there's complications is all I'm saying. With, with, <laughs> it's with, with, gossip be, with gossip being one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> Um, it is something talked about in churches, and I remember a preacher once saying the best way to kill gossip is to find the nicest and most complimentary thing you can find to say about the person they're gossiping about. Um, I can I don't think I've interpreted inter uh, I've come across interpreter gossip that much. <laughs> Bless your heart. Oh no way, you're being serious. Well, certainly not on the job. I've come across gossip between people in the sector. And more than once, I remember I was at a, an event. I have to be very careful what I say because it's not <laughs> fair. But I, I was at an event and someone started gossiping to me about, funnily enough, a colleague who I really admired and really liked. And so I said, they'd said whatever the person had and said, oh, but did you hear what he did and such and such and how great job he did? And they just looked at me like I'd grown horns out my head and moved away somewhere else. Yeah. And there's it. It's often delicate, especially if you don't really know the colleague. And one thing that I do honestly say to people is my principle is I will take people as I find them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I will secondhand stories mean nothing to me, except obviously in the case of, you know, if I'm the consultant on a team and there's been something serious. But, you know, if it's happened to the person, you know, it's different saying so-and-so abused me, so-and-so hurt me. That's different to did you hear about Fred Jones who did that to someone else who did that that's nonsense um, gossip when it's just about did you hear the, the latest scuttlebug about so and so it's like does it involve you do you need to know yeah. don't do it I mean one thing I really hate about gossip is that you know even if you just sort of absorb it and you know you kind of know it's it's probably not true or it's probably way overblown and exaggerated it still it sort of works its way into your subconsciousness and then it's always sort of at the back of your mind what that awful person said about that other person that you actually kind of like and think is sort of nice. And it's still sort of nagging at you. Ah, that's, <laughs> that's Inception at its best. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like Inception. Yeah, exactly. well, Except it's not Inception. They're like, hey, by the way, let me tell you this. <laughs> so it's like super it's, overt it's Inception. It's not subtle at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Inception. It's Deception. Yeah. Oh, mic drop. Nice one. <laughs> Can I just say, let's squash any rumors about me that might be going right now. I have no plans to invade the entirety of interpreting. <laughs> At least not that I'm pre- prepared to share in public. You heard it here first, guys <laughs> and gals. Breaking news. Should we stick with the gossip bit then and ask yeah. people to turn it down a little bit? <laughs> so so I, I, we've got a few things here. We've got... I'm saying that, hey, that, this that, is not okay. That that's not okay here. Uh, that's not okay. Hey, that's not okay. I think it is a good place to stop. And yeah, gossip is bullying, whether you, the person is in the room or not. So they don't have to be in the room to be bullied. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I would quite happily like maybe we should have like a hashtag. Hey, that's not okay. 
Um, but you know, if you're listening to this, feel free. You can borrow the "Hey, that's not okay" thing, and if we have to make it a campaign, that's totally okay. We that will. is okay. <laughs> hey, that we're, is okay. We're not afraid to use it. <laughs> I mean, John Oliver does new hashtags every week, so yeah, yeah. Why shouldn't we? And also, we, we've talked. I'm Same conscious platform. that we've talked a bit about bad interpreter teachers. I just want to honour the really, really great ones. Um, there was someone on, on Twitter recently who was dragging like the entire teaching profession, and someone actually called them out and said, "Hey, that's not okay." In other words, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> they did it first. They they didn't say those exact words, though. They, oh, these are kind of trademark. Though. But I I think it is very important to say that that there are. Fa- I've not come across them, but they are almost certainly from what we've seen some bad interpreting teachers, but I've met some really excellent ones. And it's my hope and prayer that the excellent ones outnumber the bad. And if you've had a really good experience with your interpreting teacher, it's absolutely okay to say, thank you, you did a great job. I remember kind of thanking at least one of my interpreting teachers. If I, f- if I forgot to thank you and you taught me interpreting, thank you, you did a great job. <laughs> but, you know, let we, we don't want people to think, you know, this was a show about how awful it can be. You know, it can be awful learning interpreting, but there are some excellent experiences as well. Mm-hmm.